0: The scripture today is 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Love one another. For this is the message that I have heard, that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, and that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in the world, word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Please
1: join me in prayer. Father, may we come to you expectantly to hear what we may need to hear. Only you know, and you know our hearts, you know what we need, you know where we are. So I invite the Holy Spirit to allow uh, you to speak through me, that your truth, your glory, your honor would be proclaimed. And Lord, uh, continue to guide us as your children, as we become more and more like your son. Not just in word, as we just heard, but also in deed. May you saturate every single part of our lives that we surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I need to readjust because usually for the past few weeks I've been looking at this lens. So I'm gonna look at real people and uh, it's always interesting to see faces because uh, Billy Park's family and my family, they're tired of my jokes so they don't respond to anything I say, like funny. And so it's, it's good to see other reactions but I do want to say a quick shout out thanks to the Park family for leading us with praise for, throughout this whole year of pandemic can we just give them thanks and then this morning all this setup took about 15 people so all of you who came to serve thank you so much for setting this up and thank you God for holding back any rain <laughs> so let's go into this I got this from a blog post from a pastor in Ohio his name is Wayne Presnell And the blog is, they ask children ages four to eight, what does love mean? What does love mean? And these are some of their answers. Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Uh, Danny, age seven, Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. That's nice. Uh, Chris, age seven, Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Brad Pitt. Uh, Jessica, age eight, says, You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And lastly, Noel, 8-7, she writes, um, "No, Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day." First John chapter 3, verse 11 says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Can we just say it quietly together? That we should love one another. And so that's the message that John is saying, if you're going to take away anything from my letter to you, take this. We should love one another. And so who's the we? He's talking about the church. But is it exclusively limited to the church? No, it's, it's, it overflows into your neighbors and enemies and people. And so the trademark trait that God smacks the church with is not a cross necklace. It's not where you go Sunday mornings. It's not having, you know going through Sunday school and BBS, but it's that Christ's love saturates your core and it exudes out of everything we do as a church. So can you imagine if the neighbors, this is our goal actually, that they look at this church and say, what a loving, genuinely caring church. And so this is our, our heart. This is what John is saying. And so the only way we do that is how do we generate that love? The only way we do that is to go back into the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's go back into the person of Christ and his love and we dispense that love. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, 24, 11, we, we have these words, two examples. And the two examples we're given are kicked off by verse 12. He says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So the first example John's giving is Cain. And he says, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. So you would think after reading that, the two examples that John is leading us into are Cain and Abel. But as we read through it, it's actually Cain and Jesus. So John's going to give us an example of two people who show the polar opposite of what love is. And the story of Cain, really, if you summarize it, isn't isn't this a story? The story of Cain is that you can actually be a family member and despise and loathe and hate one another to murder. The story of Cain is that you could be blood-related. They say blood is thicker than anything else. No, But Cain, the first murder, was a sibling in the history. And so why is John giving us this? He's saying, in the church, your family, but let's not be naive. In the church, there was so much hate, jealousy, loathing in our congregation. So why Cain? And I, as I was assessing, wh- why, what is John's point with Cain? Why did Cain hate so much? And this may be simplistic, but for me, it's this simple. Cain never allowed God's love to penetrate You've heard that saying, uh, I, th- I think if you're over 20, you, you must have learned this now. We can't give what we don't have. I, I don't think it's universally 100% true, but for the most part, you can't give to others what you don't have. So whether it's parenting, if you want to teach good character, if you have terrible character, you tell your children, you know, it's okay to, you know, you know don't, don't lie, don't cheat, but they see us lying, cheating. You can't give to them, impart to them what we don't have. We can't impart to others love when we don't understand love. And so at the same time that Cain was not giving God worship and sacrifice properly, and he knew it, he was actually jealous that Abel was doing it properly. So Cain didn't want to give God worship, but at the same time, he saw Abel doing it well and, and was jealous. So he knew he wasn't doing right. Bitterness raged. And you remember the story. God came to him and said, Hey, sin is crouching at your door you better master it in the very next chapter cain kills abel so god offers love and grace to cain cain just wouldn't receive it see worship is a response of god's grace we're worshiping here not because you have to if you were taught in the beginning you better go to church that's proper because when you're little your parents teach you that when you become adults Worship is the response we do, we give, we joyfully go to church to worship because of what God has given to us in his grace and love. We, we praise him. And so if you are adult an adult and you worship out of that obligation, because my parents told me to, you're probably going to be like Cain. <laughs> but if God's love grabs you and you understand what he has done for you, there's no pandemic's going to keep us from worshiping. Amen? This is what we do. This is who we are. And Cain couldn't let God's love soak him, and he couldn't impart that because he loved his, himself too much. Verse 13 and 15, so this is John's point. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So he's speaking, switching it around. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Not like a murderer. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So hatred is associated with death, murder, and no eternal life. And so, i.e., it is contradictory to be a Christian following Christ and hold to any form of hatred. By the way, real quickly, so what do I do if I hate somebody? Well, that's coming up, but you could also just name it right there and just say, God, I can't stand. Like, there's something in my heart, and it's making me not like who you want me to be. Just name it. So we do get a great answer. John continues, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Here we go. Here's what sets us apart, right? Here's We know that we have passed from death into life. Why? Because you know the Ten Commandments. You went to summer school. You went to VBS. You went to church. You were baptized. No. He doesn't say that, right? You know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. There is love overflowing in you. This is how we know we are different. Something should be different, and it would be different if Christ takes a hold of us. Here's the book recommendation for this week. Uh, Bob uh, Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does. This is not a top 10, but it's like a top 50 book. (laughs) Great book to read about what does love look like. And in it, he says this. Jesus told the people he was with that it's not enough to just look like you love God. Church people, we need to hear this. Ready? He told the people he was with that it's not enough to just look like you love God. He said we would know the extent of our love for God by how well we loved people. Take a moment to soak that in. Do people know you or do you identify yourself as a Christian by how you look or by how you act and treat others? Do you always look for the ways that you could serve? Do you always look for the consideration of others? Do you always ask yourself, I wonder how so and sos is doing? Or is it always about, how come I'm not getting any phone calls? How come the church didn't do this for me? How come the church changed this? And so for the Christians, the wake-up call John, Bob Goff is saying is, do people know you are his by how you live towards others? Not by what you show, not by a title, not by a Bible. Not, I don't care if you memorize the whole Bible. Even the devil memorized the whole Bible. It's how we treat others. So the ultimate verification that we're in God's family is that our names are not written in a membership book in the office, but it's this love we have for God and how we exhibit that to one another. And so, gosh, I want our church to be the, be the church that gets this. I want every church to get it, but they have their own messes. But here, I am so, like, we have limited bubble of energy and power. And how awesome would it be if we use all of that for just blessing this neighborhood and community and being a symbol of God's love? And so the perfect model of love is introduced. How do we do this? Uh, and before I go we go into it, uh, we need to be careful here. You can flippantly say that Beatles song. You guys know the Beatles song. All you need is, all you need is love. And I was like, that's cute, that's beautiful. But but you got to be careful how you say that, right? Because w- the commentary made a really good point from uh, IVP. Let me read it to you. To tell the woman or child who is being abused. That they are manifesting self-giving or sacrificial love by being in that position all the time is bad advice and poor theology. That's not love. Sacrificial love that models itself after Jesus' example does not enable the destructive behavior of others, but encourages them in actions that lead to love and life and to healing and wholeness. In other words, love is not just being kind to an abuser, to an addict, and enabling that destructive behavior. Love goes beyond that. It it, it suffers, it costs to lead all people to a better life and to better living. And so when God gives us an example, this is the example he gives us in verse 16. Just in case you need to know what love looks like, This is the actual love God is saying I'm talking about. And so if you have your Bible, verse 16, please underline it, highlight it, memorize it. What then is the love of God? By this we know love. I love when the Bible sets it up like that. We don't need to be scholars. He's going to give us the answer, what does love look like? And this is really easy because this is 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I think condescending love is, I'll help you out when I can. God's love is, whatever it takes, if you need it, I'll, I'm here for you. This kind of arrogant control love is like, they look like they need help. Let me, let me be a nice guy and help them. Let me, be a, let me help out with the you know, program here. And there. They, they look like they're hurting. That's not love. That's arrogance. This love is laying down ourselves. So there's no, there's no mysterious language here. As Christ laid his life for us, what is a church? We are people who are willingly laying ourselves down for others. Jesus is both the example of this love and God's revelation of his love for us. This changes us. This transforms us. You know, I mean, what makes our religion different from any other religion? Be good, do unto others. Every, three other major religions have that. Do unto others as you would have, them do unto you. Here's what sets us apart. Our God doesn't demand from us. He offers all of himself for us and dies. And then he's inviting us. As I loved you, would you love others? Who wants to say no to that? Who, who wants to go to church and say, thanks, Jesus, but this is my turn now. I want to really do life the way I want. And so this is the repentance that we need to have. And so in your bulletin, I, I just want to break out, there could be 10, but I just broke out five characteristics of this love, 1 John three sixteen. And so just to drill it home, just to kind of measure what does my love look like? What does my love for my neighbors look like? What does my love for my family look like? What does my love for myself look like? So here it is, just five. If 1 John 3:16 is the measure, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The first is love is voluntary. It's voluntary. Jesus loved willingly. It wasn't obligatory it was voluntary. It was joyfully. In other words, Jesus had a choice. Jesus had a choice. We saw him wrestling with that at Gethsemane. And you have a choice. Every moment, do I love this person? How do I love? And so Christ's love in us is not obligation. It's this willingness, despite how we feel. It's not calculating. It's not, calcu- it's not obligatory. It's a will to say, I have to love, not because I like it, it feels good, but because love is costly. It demands this action. The will is defined as the will, it's what drives us to do the right thing despite how we feel. That's will, isn't it? Uh, Some of you don't like to get up at 6 o'clock to go to work, but the will drives you to do that. Love is if you do whatever feels right, you will never love properly. When you become parents, some of you young people, you'll learn that. It's, love is despite how we feel at times. And so the first rest of 1 John 3.16 is not only that Christ gave voluntarily, but John is inviting you and me to we ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters. Will you voluntarily give love? Wouldn't it be sad if a church, we only served because we had titles? I mean, just think about that. We, hey, we're a loving church. That's great, but wouldn't it be better if once we become a member, we join together in partnership and we lay our lives down for one another and for our community? If we serve because of a title, that's not true serving. It's not voluntary. And so authentic Christianity is ready to carry this cross Ready to offer on the altar of Christ our comfort, our convenience, even our possessions, sacrificially, to say, whoever needs it, I'm ready to give it. Two, this 1 John three sixteen love is, it's a life-giving love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Why did Jesus lay down his life for us? Well, we heard of it in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And get this, and with his wounds, we are healed. True love, it breathes life into the person you're showing love to. So John 10:11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? I feed them, I water them. No, li- listen to Jesus' example. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's revolutionary. We don't see this kind of love in the world. We don't see love as characterized by you die to yourself. So I want to give you an example from the Bob Goff book. So Bob Goff was in 11th grade, and he wanted to drop out of high school, so he tells his story. He goes to a leader named Randy, who was a young life discipleship leader. And Randy took a took a hold of him and, and care for him. And Bob didn't really like Christianity all that much. But Bob was fed up with school. He wanted to quit and go climb Yosemite El Capitan. He says, I want to live my life as a rock climber in Yosemite. So young people, right? We, we have these ambitions and dreams. We don't really think through it out sometimes. And so he goes to Randy to say, hey, I'm going to Yosemite. And Randy looks at him puzzled and says, wait a minute. He runs in, comes out with a backpack, and a sleeping bag, and he says these words, I'm with you. So Randy goes with Bob to Yosemite, and they have an adventure. They try to climb, and some things don't go well, and after a few weeks, Randy's—I mean, Bob is running out of money, and Randy's like, no matter what you want to do, climb the mountain or go home, either way, I'm with you. So Bob finally came to his senses and realized, I'll finish school. Let's go home, okay? So they've been camping this whole time. They come home. He drops off Randy. They go inside his house, and he sees birthday presents. He sees, like, a new toaster. So he's like, what? What? What is all this? And then a girl comes out, hugs Randy. Honey, you're home. And it just occurred to Bob. Randy had just gotten married that weekend and because he cared about bob making a crucial decision maybe his death randy said i'm going to put off on this and go with you bob and his wife said basically said go and bob was shook and he realized love is costly so this is what bob wrote in his book but the kind of love that god created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice And presence and this is what he learned from Randy I really I think we could debate Randy shouldn't have gone he he should have been with his wife the point of it is it happened and it changed Bob when he saw the cost without Randy even mentioning it so love is life giving to others it's not a token it's not just this nice little charity case it's life giving to the person who do you see that needs to just be soaked with love? And in church, if you throw money at it alone, that's not love. It's the ministry of presence. I'm with you. Could you just humor me by turning to the person next to you and say, I'm with you. Just, just, just look at each other awkwardly and say, I'm with you. So third, love holds to truths and never lies. Verse 18, 1 John 3:18. Love is not just Whatever you want, I want to give. But it holds the truth. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, and there it is, in truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, when they talk about love, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love just doesn't hold truth. It rejoices in truth. What does this mean? Safe to say love can't exist In the same space as fear and distrust. So if you love someone in the and we create this manipulative distrust and, and just kind of like twisted truth, that's not love. Lies and deceit are absolutely mutually exclusive from God's love. In fact, Jesus says, lies, that's part of your father, the devil. And so not everything is love. We hold it up to the light of God's word and God's absolute truth. And so that's a key part of measuring. Is this love? Is this love? Hey, I have a a wife and kids. Should I run off with this other woman because I feel love? Well, bring it up to the context and the lens of God's truth. What is real? What is right? And so... It harbors and it rejoices in truth. It's not just niceness. Fourth, this one is not surprising. It's unconditional. There's never expectation of payback. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same. Don't mishear that as saying, "Jesus is doing this for you, so you better do this for me." That's called a quid pro quo. In John 3, 16, we have this. For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice in that verse, there is no condition. (laughs) God so loved the world that he gave his son so that if the world would just act straight and get it together, they would have eternal life. There's no condition there. There's an invitation, but there's no condition. God doesn't throw up his hands in the air and says, I I, I give up, you guys are not following me properly. But rather, he always has his hands in the open and saying, unconditionally come. And lastly, this hits home in 1 John 3, love gives away. The response that there is a fruitful love is, you just can't contain it. Bob Goff, again, he says this, but the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is costly because it involves sacrifice and presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. Um, My dad has never once said to me, even now, these words, I love you. That's very typical of first-gen parents. Never said to me, I love you. But if you were to ask me, did your dad love you? I would say 100%. So thankfully, despite his culture, the way he led, the way he sacrificed, the way he treated, he never came to any of my baseball games. I'm still traumatized by that. But the way he was a dad, in the way I knew, understand now, there was love. Love is exhibited in action. It's manifested in our community. So verse 17 and 18, here's what Rob Griffith is doing, right? But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So let me just say something kind of radical. If you felt like you don't, you're not getting love, let me say to you, let it go. And give love to someone else that you think you need. Don't wait for you to be loved. So just love others so much when you feel there is nothing being offered to you, great. God's love is enough. Who needs ministry? This, the feeling stinks not to be remembered, and you remember because of what God's given to me, we give. The average American Christian gives 2 to 3% to charities and causes. These are Christians too, but out of abundance of God's love for us, what would it look like to give a tithe of our time, tithe of our skills, a tithe of our money and possessions for God's kingdom. This is the response of those soaked in 1 John 3.16. And so C.S. Lewis, as we just kind of wrap up, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak when we love things that we're not supposed to love. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite jo- when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And I think what C.S. Lewis say is saying here is, we settle so easily for this cheap love when we have the greatest love available to every single one of us. And when we have that love, we're able to give love, not because it's our job, not because it's an obligation, but because this is who Christ has called us to be. Let's pray. God, I love that saying, to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And we are way too comfortable as a church. We kind of sit back and we really see sometimes a church as a cruise ship where we're pampered and we get to push the buttons once in a while, but we don't take the responsibilities of sacrifice. And so all of these things, Lord, when we look at your son, we realize we are called to so much more we are called to really live sacrificially, selflessly. We see it in 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16. And so may we be captivated first by your love. May we be captured by the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us because of your love to never let us go. Because you have invited us, because you claw at us, because you have bridged this gap. And so God, We come to your table, and we are reminded of your love and renewed in our faith so that not only are we comforted, but that we could be comforters with the gospel to the world. May we be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.